0: Welcome to the Community Fellowship Podcast, your way to stay connected with biblically-themed messages, discussions, and interviews from Community Fellowship in East Bernard, Texas. Learn more about our church at the cfeb.church website, check us out on social media at CFEastBernard, or attend an in-person service at 635 Main Street in East Bernard. We are a local church that works to make the love of Christ for all humanity known to our community and the world. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this week's content.
1: Community Fellowships speaks Jesus. And I hope you speak Jesus. Our goal at community fellowship is to help each one of us speak Jesus into the lives of all of those around us thank you worship team for bringing that music to us this morning opportunity to praise him through music a couple of prayer mentions before I get into the uh, message for this morning we have a kairos uh, ministry going on Jim and Amy SIPTIC are heavily involved in prison ministry called Kairos, in which they go into the prison. They're in, uh, uh, what's the unit called? Carol Vance. Carol Vance unit that they're in right now. Uh, well, uh, Amy's not in. <laughs> Only the men get going because it's a men's prison. But she's helping from the outside, and they're ministering, teaching uh, men about the grace and love. Of jesus christ there have been doing that for the past two and a half days so please pray for for them and for the other team members and for the 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 prisoners who they call men in white uh that they would receive god receive jesus in a powerful way change lives change hearts uh also i want to mention and joe's not here this morning so maybe i won't embarrass him uh oh joe cabina is here Joe Cabina, the daily Joe. <laughs> we have several Joes. Yeah, Joe Cabina, as I understand, is having uh, shoulder surgery tomorrow. Uh, that was so- something came up. This was not something that had been planned for a long period of time. So please keep Joe Cabina in your pr- prayers as he goes for uh, surgery tomorrow. And that's one of the reasons why he and Laura really cannot be coordinating the, uh, the Palm Sunday uh, Easter egg hunt. So if somebody would step up and, and help to coordinate that. Sure, appreciate that. Okay, folks, uh, we're going back to Genesis. This is part two of Back to Genesis. I plan to give you a great deal of information, thus, the handout. You, you almost never get handouts from me, but you got one last Sunday. We went through a lot last Sunday. We're going go through a lot again this Sunday. The handout is meant to help you perhaps not miss. Some of it and a place where you can make some, some notes as you go along if you desire to do that. Uh, for those of you who are, who are quite a few of you missed last Sunday, which is the beginning of spring break. A lot of folks were gone. We still have some folks out. That's fine. We've got to take advantage of the vacation time that we have. Uh, Timothy was able to get last, message, last week's message up on our, our uh, church website. Uh, Molly would you flip to that next uh, slide I want to I I want to show you how because a lot of you have never even been there so if you go to the website which is cfeb.church, and you'll you'll get what's on the left over here okay then up at the top there's a drop-down menu those little lines if you click on that then you're gonna get what's in the middle and it's hard to see but there's a drop-down menu in the middle of that is media if you click on media then you're gonna get what's over here on the right and down at the bottom latest episode there's a there's a media center there where you can play uh last week's message you can also scroll further down and see what other messages from pre prior times are available which uh not a whole lot there but uh uh, we'll we'll see if we can't i'm hoping that all of this series will get put up because there's a lot here and it's a great preparation for us for easter and i think why, why are we going back to genesis in preparation for easter uh, I, th- I think the messages are going to demonstrate why we're going back to easter as a preparation for easter and those who were here last sunday i think already get that point and i think you're going to get it today uh pretty soundly so uh, Just a reminder, I, I highlighted this last Sunday, the Bible is one integrated story from beginning to end, from Genesis to Exodus. Yes, there are a bunch of small stories, but all of those smaller stories are part of a larger story, and that story is God coming to man to redeem us from our sin. It is the redemption story. It is the story of Jesus beginning to end. That is the Bible, okay? And interesting thing, it's divided into Old Testament and New Testament. I need to, y'all's left is over here, so uh, Old Testament and New Testament. I do things backwards when I'm facing you. I have to get used to that. Uh, But what's a testament? Ever think about that with the Testament? That, that's, a, that's legal jargon for a covenant, an agreement, a contract. And the New Testament and Old Testament are basically an agreement between God and man. And they're pretty much one way. It's God saying, I'm going to do this for you. Almost no matter what you do, I'm going to do this for you. Now there were some conditions of the, some of the covenants in in the Old Testament and man never kept their end, right? But God always kept his end. So you've got the Old Agreement and the New Agreement. But they're really one and the same. They're part of the same overall message. They're they're all part of the same redemption story and they both lead us to Christ. You'll find at the top of your notes page, the same thing I put there last week, the New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. If you put them together, they're like, they're like interlocking pieces. They help you make sense of each Testament. Without, one without the other is not complete. Put them together, understand them together, and they're both whole. Okay, we're going to, once again, like we did last Sunday, we're going to go to the New Testament as a way to get back to Genesis. So we're going to start in Matthew, chapter 27, Matthew being the first book in the New Testament, written by Matthew, who was one of the 12 disciples, about the life of Christ. We're going to turn to chapter 27, verse 50. And you will recognize immediately. This is the moment Christ died on the cross. That's where we're entering the picture in Matthew. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple, was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were gone, Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Surely he was the Son of God. God's plan for redemption had just happened. It Everything was fulfilled in that moment. The story of the Bible, beginning to end, was fulfilled right then and there. It's no wonder that even the soldiers who were guarding that area around the cross recognized him as the Son of God. There's a detail in these verses we just read that's going to serve as a time portal for us to travel back to Genesis. Okay? Verse 51, again. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This is our time portal right here. Details matter. This is not one you should gloss over. You need to ask yourself, what's that all about? What was significant about this curtain that God himself tore from top to bottom? This was a solid curtain. Some say it could have been four to six inches thick, all material, handmade, had embroidered on its front. This is a kind of an artist's depiction of it. You see there's cherubim. Now, the curtain is opened here, so you can see what's behind it. It's already been torn, and you see the Ark of the Covenant behind it. On the Ark of the Covenant, there are these two cherubim facing one another, and they're on the lid to the Ark, and that lid is called the mercy seat. That's where once a year the high priest was allowed to enter this Holy of Holies. That's, that's what the area behind the curtain is called, the Holy of Holies. Once a year, the high priest could go in there and sprinkle the blood of a very special offering on that cover. It's called the mercy seat. To atone for the sins of the nation of Israel. It was very special circumstances. Lots of details he had to go through. Lest God strike him dead the moment he entered the Holy of Holies. Those, uh, you notice that the cherubim on the curtain itself. Those were specified by God back when he gave the Ten Commandments. That was how that curtain was to be made. So the cherubim. Picture this extremely holy and forbidden place in your minds. And now we're going to go back to Genesis, to a different sort of holy meeting place that also became forbidden. The meeting place where it all began. The meeting place that the tabernacle This was all intended to bring to mind. Let's go to the Garden of Geden, and particularly to the entrance to the garden. We'll see in these verses that the entrance is also the exit. It's the place where God pushed Adam and Eve out of the garden, and he stationed cherubim. I don't know if my battery is fading or if I'm losing some. uh, Anyway, we'll see. Let's start reading. We're going to go back to chapter 3 in Genesis. We were in chapter 3. We ended in chapter 3 last week. Chapter 3 in Genesis, verse 21. We're going to read 21 through 24 for now. This is occurring immediately after God chastised Adam and Eve and the serpent, Satan, for... Adam and Eve having partaken of the forbidden fruit, which, by the way, came from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's that's important. Verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. of life. Now, there is a lot in those verses, so we're going to take a little time and unpack them. First, the Lord God made garments of skin. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to back up and fill in a spot that we didn't read in, in Scripture, but we, right after they ate from the fruit, what did they do? They went out. They recognized that they were naked. And they went out and gathered fig leaves and made some kind of coverings out of these fig leaves. Folks, that was the first effort at religion in this world. Religion, if you, if you define it as man attempting to deal with his sin so that he can come into the presence of God... This was their weak attempt at doing that. Gathering fig leaves to cover over, symbolically cover over their sin. God's having none of that. You're not coming to me on your own merits, in your own way. I have the right and power to set that way up and my way involves the shedding of blood and so God kills animals he sheds blood this is likely the first time blood had been shed he kills animals takes the skins from those animals and makes coverings for Adam and Eve what we have here. Is the first sin offering. And God's the one who does it. He does it on behalf. Of Adam and Eve. So. What he's doing right here in the garden. Is already pointing us to what he will do. In the future. With his own son. And offering him up. On the cross. As the appropriate final, all-sufficient sin offering for our sin. In verse 22, we learn that Adam and Eve are now knowledgeable about the difference between good and evil. The implication here is that before they ate the fruit, they could not sin because they didn't know what was good and what was bad. But now that they've eaten the fruit and they're capable of sin and they have sinned, they are guilty of sin. They are guilty of sin. He must not be allowed to reach his hand out and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. God's not being stingy here, folks. God is being merciful. You see... They are in their state of sin at this point, and if they gain eternal life by eating the fruit from the tree of life, they will eternally be in their sin. God is being merciful when he drives them out of the garden to keep them. Two things are accomplishing here. They, as sinful man, don't have any right any longer to be in the presence of holy, righteous, blameless God. But secondarily, he's protecting them from being tempted to take from the tree of life in which they would live in their sin eternally. So, he drives them out. He stations cherubim at the entrance to the garden to protect the entrance cherubim are very special angels and every time we hear them mentioned in the Bible they are in some way protecting or maintaining the separation between tainted man and the holiness of God they preserve the holiness of God's presence so to speak so here they are at the garden preserving the entrance to the garden so sinful man can no longer enter into God's presence. We find them over the Ark of the Covenant, protecting that area where God's presence was dwelling, according to God himself, as he told Moses, in the Holy of Holies, where no one was allowed to enter except that priest once a year. And when he entered, oh, by the way, the other priest would tie a rope around his ankle. What do you think that was for? If God struck him dead in there, they didn't want to have to go in there and get him. It was so they could drag him out without putting their own lives at stake. This was this was this was. This was Entering into the Holy of Holies was like entering back into the Garden of Eden, back into the presence of God. That's what it represented. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the Tree of Life. The presence of cherubim now clearly connect. The entrance to the garden, the entrance to the Holy of Holies, and the death of Jesus Christ, right? Because this curtain that had cherubim on it, preserving the Holy of Holies, was torn in two. Let's put up Miley the Slide garden to temple comparison. So the garden entrance faced eastward, but that's a detail I failed to mention, Uh, so the We find in in Genesis, the entrance to the garden faced eastward. Guess what? God had them face the tabernacle eastward, and thus the temple faced eastward. The garden entrance was flanked by cherubim. The temple's innermost entrance, the curtain to the Holy of Holies, was flanked by cherubim. The garden was was the place where God and man's relationship was enjoyed in the absence of sin. The Holy of Holies was the place where God continued to abide, but separate from man because of the presence of sin. The very presence of the cherubim at both the entrance to the garden and the entrance to the Holy of Holies, combined with the conspicuous timing of the tearing of that curtain, It's clear evidence of God's plan for restoration of his garden relationship with us. That's what redemption is about. Our redemption is about us being able to re enter that Eden like relationship with God that man prevents us, I mean, that sin prevents us from having. But wait, it gets better. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 4. We have there the story of Cain and Abel. Adam and first two sons. And I think they had a lot of sons and a lot of daughters. And their sons and daughters had a lot of sons and a lot of daughters. They populated the earth very quickly. Let's start reading chapter 4, verse 1. Adam made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Now, What's not clear in English there is the name Cain means brought forth in Hebrew. That's why that statement is in there. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. So we got a rancher and a farmer. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering. Fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. So the boys have obviously been taught to perform these sacrifices, these offerings Whether taught by their mom and dad or by God himself, we don't know. This is not something you just conjure up and do. They've been taught to do this, right? And the interesting thing is they're both doing it at the same time in the same place, which also implies that there was a time and a place that was appropriate to do this. we often those of us even who know scripture fairly well we think well the levitical laws those were given to moses at mount sinai the whole sacrificial system really didn't start till then when the when the tabernacle was built and all of that and this is evidence that no it's it had been it had started from the beginning it started when they were kicked out of the garden And it more than likely continued until it was codified, so to speak, in Leviticus uh, when God gave the Ten Commandments. But I'm going to add another piece of evidence that supports that. You guys know who Noah was, right? Noah and his family were the only ones who survived the great flood. Everybody we're talking about here and their descendants dies except Noah and his family. Before the flood, which is hundreds of years prior to God giving the Ten Commandments and the Levitical law at Mount Sinai, prior to the flood, God gives Noah instructions on how many animals to take into the ark. So how many of each animal were they to take? Two. That's partially right, because he also said, take seven of every clean animal now that doesn't mean go wash the animals off and take seven of them <laughs> clean had to do with whether they were ceremonially clean or clean in the way that they're described in Leviticus we find the definition for clean and unclean animals in Leviticus hundreds of years later but here god tells jo moses i mean noah One of those guys (laughs) to take seven clean animals and Noah doesn't turn around and say, what's a clean animal? Noah already knows. You see, this is already in practice prior to the flood. It had been in practice since Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel would have known these kinds of things. And they got passed down from generation to generation until they were codified uh, by Moses in the writing of Leviticus as given to him by, by God himself. So back to the boys' sacrifices. One was acceptable to God, one was not. Often the presumption made here is one's heart was right with God, the other one was not. And I think that's a safe and, and valid conclusion, but there's more there than that. If you don't leave it at just that, and we have some clues. We have some clues. Because there in verse 3 and 4 are clues. Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil. Okay, he's a farmer. Cain just goes out from his warehouse and just grabs some stuff. Goes and offers the sacrifice. Willy nilly. Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. This was more of a, this was a sacrifice, his firstborn from his flock. And the the phrase fat portions and firstborn, those are key phrases hundreds of years later, when this whole system is codified in Leviticus and it calls for fat portions from the firstborn. Abel did it right. Cain just brought what was convenient for him. Even though he would have known also what was the right offering, he didn't bring it. So it's no wonder that his was rejected. His was a reflection, of course, of the attitude of his heart. Just like what we give God today is a reflection of the attitude of our hearts does he get your best or does he does he get something from your excess your leftovers which is it interesting thing here This points us early on, right here in chapter 4 of Genesis, to the necessity for the appropriate sacrifice of a firstborn when seeking God's presence. God's acceptance of Abel's sacrifice is just one more precursor to the future sacrifice of God's own firstborn. God's rejection of Cain's sacrifice points us to the fact that God has provided one and only one Way back into the garden relationship with himself. Jesus is that way. Let's look at two verses. to I want us to compare one from the Old Testament, one from the New Genesis, three, 24. We're going to compare with John 14:6. They're both on uh, the board up here. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden, cherubim and flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. And John, Jesus answered, "I am the way." and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one enters the garden except through me. No one enters the Holy of Holies except through me. It was my blood that tore that curtain in half so that you can enter into the presence of God. Why don't you do it? I died so you can do it. The way to the garden is the way to God is Jesus himself. Jesus is the way. We're reminded once again that all of Scripture is the story of God restoring man's relationship to himself. And Jesus is the focal point of that story. Let's continue in Genesis 4, 6. This is right after Cain's offering was rejected. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Apparently Cain made the wrong choice at that point. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. Premeditated. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where's your brother Abel? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? He was the older brother. Of course, he was his brother's keeper. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, I would would say, Cain whined to the Lord. My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Presumably, this is the very first murder that takes place in creation. And we could, we tend to chalk it up to just that, a story about the first murder. That's the interest. But that would be a mistake because what we have here is a clear contrast that I think God wants us to get. A contrast between Abel's pride-driven anger and God's forbearance. Between Abel's vengefulness and God's mercy. You see, in the Old Testament, At that time, it was eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Cain deserved to die for having killed Abel. But God showed mercy. Instead, he allowed him to live, even though he whined about his punishment. He allowed him to live. He sent him away. Farther away. So now he's not just being driven out of the garden. They're already out of the garden. Now he's saying, get away from the entrance to the garden. You see, I think Adam and Eve and their whole family, their progeny, because of the holiness of where they were, where they exited the garden, I think they that's where they stayed for the most part. They didn't venture that far from there. In fact, it is very likely that they considered that their holy place. And that's where they would have gone to make the the sacrifices. More than likely, Cain and Abel were at the entrance to the garden within sight of the cherubim. What What does that look like? Because that's exactly what God sets up at Mount Sinai in Leviticus. Where are the sacrifices made? They're made at the entrance to the tabernacle. You see, Cain and Abel very likely made their sacrifices right there at the entrance to the Garden of Eden. Right there in the presence of the cherubim. The rest of chapter 4 of Genesis is a genealogy. It's Cain's genealogy. Uh, All of these folks will die. If they live until the flood, they will die in the flood. None of them survived the flood. But nevertheless, there were potentially godly people among them who died perhaps before the flood. There's evidence in that genealogy. So you see, genealogy is the thing we, we tend to want to skip over when we're just reading the Bible through. And we're going to find a very, very interesting fact about the genealogy in chapter 5. We're gonna, I'm going to tack that on very quickly <laughs> before we finish. But this genealogy, you find two names in there that, ha, that end in the term, in L, E L. E L is God. When you see a name that has L in it, like Elohim, that's God. There are two names in there, N and L. God is a part of their name. That's a pretty good indication that God's mercy toward Cain may have led he and his family to come back to God in some way. Such that they included God's name in the names of uh, predecessors. I mean, uh, their progeny. So, very quickly, I'm going to conclude with a very, very interesting fact about chapter 5, which is, again, when you're reading through, you just want to skip chapter 5. It's name after name after name. It's the genealogy from from Adam to Noah, right? Interesting thing about Hebrew, which is the language these names were in. It's the language that the entire Old Testament, except for two chapters, was originally written in. Uh, Two chapters were written in Aramaic, but the rest was in Hebrew, Hebrew, written Hebrew is very special and unique. Uh, first of all, it, 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 it's written and read from right to left, backwards from what we're used to. That original, those original manuscripts had no spaces, no punctuation, no capital letters. It's a very intuitive language. Each letter was a symbol of sorts, kind of like hieroglyphics. Each letter had a meaning. And when you string those letters together, you can ascertain the meaning meaning of a word by what the meaning of those letters are. And so uh, folks who who are learning Hebrew, if they learn the meaning of each letter, they can interpret about 80% of Hebrew by knowing what each letter means. So each of these names in the lineage between Adam and Noah has a meaning. And on the back of your handout, you'll find those names listed in the order that they appear in the lineage there. And you'll find the meaning of each one of those names transliterated into English. And you string all of those meanings of those names together is mind-boggling what you get. Because what you get is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's look at that phrase. That sentence. Man is appointed mortal sorrow. Okay, that's what happened in the garden. Man's sin appointed him to die. Mortal sorrow. Man is appointed mortal sorrow. But the blessed God shall come down, that's Jesus, Jesus coming down, teaching that his death, his own death, shall bring the despairing, we're the despairing, shall bring the despairing comfort and rest. This is the gospel written in the names of the genealogy. And oh, by the way, these folks are in your genealogy, right? We all descended from Noah So these are our ancestors, every last one of us descended from them. The gospel of Jesus Christ is in the names in our ancestry. We live for and serve a mighty God, one who deserves our complete, utter reverence and obedience, one who from the beginning of time has planned for and carried out his plan to bring you into communion, bring you into that Eden-like relationship with himself. Ephesians 1:4 says, "For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight." He chose you before he even set the earth on its axis. He chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight, and then he set about making a way for us to be holy and blameless.
0: If you have questions about this week's message or would like to start a conversation with someone about what it means to walk with Christ, please email pastor at cfeb.church. You can find earlier episodes of our podcast on our website at cfeb.church where you can also give online to help support community fellowship in our mission to reflect and share Christ's love. We can also be found on many major distribution platforms like Apple Podcasts where you can subscribe to stay connected. Thank you again for listening. Now go out and love one another like Jesus did.